You're listening to the Audio Nowcast, sponsored by API. Now from the Nowcast Network Studios, here's Mike. Hey, welcome to the Audio Nowcast. My name is Mike Rodriguez. And before we get going, let me introduce the guys. Over here, <laughs> actually, I should say guy, right? <laughs> Over here on my right, we've got the one and only Bobby Osinski. Bobby. <laughs> hey, Mike. <laughs> it's a Spartan crew tonight. <laughs> and joining us all the way from Philadelphia, we've got the Iron Man of the Audio Nowcast, Mr. Rob Arbiter. Hello, everyone. Can you guys hear me okay? Perfect, man. Perfect. Because I am not in person today. <laughs> no, but uh, you haven't missed the show. That is true. And this is, uh, show, this is show number 190. We have a great show. It's really going to be an amazing show, I'll tell you, because we have a great guest. Our guest today is uh, Mr. Kevin Donan. Kevin. Thank you, Mike. Uh, Kevin owns a record store in Hollywood Boulevard that I just kind of stumbled upon. It's called As the Record Turns. And what's really cool is when I went in there... Uh, the, I just saw all vinyl. When I say record store, I literally mean record store. It's just all vinyl. And we started talking and Kevin has worked in the industry and he's been a mixer and he's, and he knows a ton of people. And, you know, he was there with Dr. Dre and, and he was there, he, just Marcus Miller and just knows a lot of people in the industry. And I, and I said, Hey, you got to come on the podcast. And he was like, sure. And so we sent a couple of texts back and forth and I went back over to his place and I took some pictures and here he is. Well, thank you. And uh, we're going to visit with him on the second half. Um, and what's really cool is the stories of of where he's placed some of his records, some of his vinyls. And um, because TV shows, when they want the real thing, they, they go to him and the movies and the same thing. So uh, on the second half, we're going to talk all things, all things Kevin. <laughs> but um, first, got a few things that uh, I want to talk about. And Kevin, feel free to jump in anytime. Um this past weekend, actually not this past weekend, but the week before, um, I had the privilege of going to Dave Smith Instruments. Rob, did you hear that? I went and uh, visited uh, Joanne and Andrew and Dave Smith over at their uh, offices in San Francisco. And, and was Joanne able to get it together, keep it together? <laughs> to see Joanne's the best. Seriously. She is so awesome. Is. And her and Andrew went to lunch and it was just great and had a really great time. Um, and what's amazing about Dave Smith's instruments, number one, is they are located in North Beach, San Francisco. It could not be a cooler, hipper place. There's plenty of restaurants around. Um, but everybody there, the, well, the offices are, it's really open and they have two rooms. They have Dave's office and they have the synth room where all their products are. It was I was like a kid in a candy store being able to play all these things. And then you go and Dave let me, you know, go into his office and you see like a Profit 10. Like how often do you see Profit 10s? That's like, you know, it's, it's, it's one of those legendary keyboards. And um, so it was really cool. And then all the guys there were just super nice, super friendly. And then when they took me on the tour, it was seriously, I think I only got to go about 47 steps in because it's like, no, we don't want, you can't go over there. And <laughs> you can't go over there, especially when you have a camera. <laughs> but I totally understand because, you know, they, they're working on a lot of really cool stuff and don't want to tip their hat. But it was really great. And in honor of... Uh, Dave Smith and our visit there. We're going to give away some swag and we're trying another giveaway, Rob. And, you know, we have about a 75% um, success rate on these giveaways. Right. So we're going to do three t-shirts 
They're really cool. They're super comfortable. We're going to give them away. All you got to do is write me at audio at nowcastnetwork.com. That's audio at nowcastnetwork.com. And tell me why you deserve a t-shirt. And quite frankly, <laughs> the odds are in your favor <laughs> to get a t-shirt. <laughs> that's all I'm saying. But no, that's all you got to do. And then uh, uh, we're going to ship them out to you. And actually, since I don't have to handle the shipping, because Joanne uh, said that she would uh, ship them out. Um, the odds are in your favor that you'll actually get the shirt. <laughs> oh, if Joanne's in charge, they'll get it. That's right. <laughs> so what were you actually doing there? Just visiting? Well, no, I was recording an episode of Spaces. I actually got to interview Dave, uh, Dave Smith and, um, yeah, we were out there recording and it was great. And I asked him questions that hopefully, you know, he hadn't been asked before because, you know, everybody kind of asked the same things and I just wanted to do something a little different. And uh, it was great. And he's such a great guy. And and what's amazing is Dave Smith, um, him and Andrew actually, be, you know, they've played a big part in my own career because I got turned Andrew on. Andrew who? Andrew McGowan, who's the, who's, um, who's been with Dave for Ever, it seems like yeah decades yeah i'm not even what's andrew's like i don't manager president i don't i don't know i don't know actually well, he, he's helped develop products he's written yeah. manual he's developed sounds he's done sort of everything you can do in a synth company <laughs> yeah he's Ooh. he's pretty fascinating and uh um but he actually there was a good chance the very first keyboard that i ever listened to and got my hands on was the the six track by Sequential way back in the day. And that literally changed my life. I was, I, I had to like chase the electronic music thing. I had to find out more about keyboards and I had to find out more about synths. And, and it was because I heard that keyboard and I got to play with it. And throughout, you know, my time, I, I just put in the effort and I learned about MIDI and I learned about everything. And, and Dave invented MIDI, you know, he basically gave MIDI away. And then uh, he was also heavily involved in my, um, you know, there's a certain product that everybody has that like when they make it, they're going to buy this thing. And for me, that was the wave station. When I first heard the wave station keyboard, that was like, that was like, oh, I got to own one of those. I got to own one of those. That's when I know I will have made it <laughs> when I have a wave station keyboard. And, uh, it took me a heck of a long time, <laughs> but I finally picked up a wave station years after they were, you know, C's production and uh, at Guitar Center, but I love that keyboard so much. And I it was several tours that I worked on. They had the Wave Station, and he was involved in the development of that. So it was just really cool to kind of like how things come full circle. And I just remember was I'm interviewing him. I had this moment of just stepping back and just seeing how you know sometimes life you just never know. You know, I never knew back when I was in the electronic music lab that years later I'm going to be meeting the guy that probably built this and definitely the guy who designed it. And it's just how it, it all comes full circle. So that was pretty cool. So yes, if you want a uh, Dave Smith instrument t-shirt, all you have to do is uh, send me an email, audio at nowcastnetwork.com. That's audio at nowcastnetwork.com as to uh, why you should have a Dave Smith instrument t-shirt. Um, so we're moving on. Uh, next thing I want to talk about is uh, Bobby. I need some hope, Bobby. I need some hope. Last time we were talking and we talked about um, views and we talked about, you know, making it and YouTube and things like that. And you were talking about, you know, how 100 million views are nothing, how 50 million views are nothing. No, 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 no. I, I, a, mil a million views is nothing 
10 million kind of gets you in the game. 50 million is a minor hit. 100 is sort of a hit. But you're talking billions, though. You were like, people well, out there are getting billions. Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, Ed Sheeran just had more, a billion three just on Spotify alone. Now, this is where I need some hope. Um, what's a small indie band? I mean, what what can they, like, I need some, I need some direction here, okay? Because I'm actually involved in a musical project that um, is going to be coming out in November. And it's really cool, and I'm not going to say much more, but there's some teasers that will be coming out. Um, and we're starting to plan our strategy, you know, for social media, things like that. And I wanted to go to the master. Like, if you were starting a group, you were starting a musical project right now, what do you, what would you prioritize right off the bat? And, and what would be the next like three steps you would take? Well, you need followers no matter what. Right. You need fans. So you need product. Music is, your music is your marketing. So you have to have music out there and the more the better. The whole thing is you, it's all based around reach. How many people can you reach that are interested in what you're doing? So the best thing is to reach out to, um, fans of other artists that are similar. That's the easiest way. And you do that in, in social media. The best thing, Facebook advertising still works great. The whole thing about Facebook advertising is you have to have a little bit of expertise in order to target those potential fans. But it's very useful, and you can get a lot of fans fast by doing it that way. We're doing doing targeted ads of particular bands, and then you send your video or whatever you have to those people, right? Well, put it like this. I consulted with a band of 50-somethings. And they were getting back together. It was, you know, the same old thing. I had a band when I was 20 years old. We were really big. And now we're trying to do it again now that we're all getting up there in age. Right. And they were able to get something like 8 million views on a video. Wow. Following my my strategy and how to do it. How long? Wow. How long was the time period? It was very short. It was within a month if they did it within a, now how much money did they spend on uh, on them on the marketing it was costing them a penny per view so it, it's a lot of dough but they could afford it when it's all said and done but a penny of view is not actually that much now the whole idea is you're hoping that you get to the right people that there can be some sort of virility involved as well so so wait, a penny per view, that's just to run the marketing campaign? Like that's like eighty thousand dollars for eight. It was a lot of dough. I don't think that they paid eighty thousand dollars. I'm pretty sure it didn't happen like that. I know for the first million they were paying it uh, a penny of view, so that was like ten thousand bucks or so. Rob, when you were doing working, you know, with, with the misses, did you do much Facebook uh, advertising? Did you do much targeted advertising for Facebook? We did. Uh, that was a unique situation. And actually, we consulted with Bobby, too. Bobby is the oracle. Um, the thing with the Miss is it was a very strong message for women and women's empowerment. And so we were we were not just targeting music fans or fans of other bands. It was also women's groups and women's blogging groups who are also really good at marketing things. <laughs> we we sort of aligned ourselves with a blogger, which is a, a women's blogging conference 
that we ended up performing at. So in our situation, we were aligning ourselves with the right kind of audience that would be easy to engage with us. Right. But it actually wasn't initially tied in with music. It was more women's causes. I got you. So you kind of did like a back end kind of soft marketing towards that and then. Yeah, which is always a good thing. If you can find something else that's going to connect you with your audience. Right where they're going to feel like they want to be ambassadors for you, which is what we were going for. Yeah. Then you're not just building a fan base. You're also building a marketing team. Well, you know, that's true help too. You get the word out. You're building an army and that's, that's what you want. See, Facebook advertising works. It costs you dough. There's no question about it, but that can't be the only thing because it's going to cost you too much money right. in the long run. You know, it's the same old thing. If you have people waiting to see you, and they're around the block of the club you're playing at, then you got something going. I mean, and, and record labels, let's face it, they don't sign you because of your music. They sign you because of your audience. Followers. Yeah. So if you have an audience, then then everything works in your favor. But it and that's not easy. It it's one fan at a time. It's one gig at a time. So to think that social media will automatically do it for you, unless you have, like Rob said, there has to be something. Something extra in the message to make it work. Now, let me ask you a question, and I lifted this straight from your blog. You have this really great article, and I recommend people to go to Bobby Osinski's um, uh, Music 3.0 blog. But um, it's up from your article, Eight Social Media Mistakes That Artists and Bands Make. And uh, number um, two, the first one is having no social media um, strategy. <laughs> but number two is creating accounts on too many platforms too soon, which I think is, is, is a good advice. What platforms would you say that you would roll out? It would, would you go Facebook, Instagram? Would you go Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter? How, how what do you mean by that? Well, first of all, you can't be everywhere. Because there's just not enough time in the day, especially if you're doing it yourself. If you're hiring a team, then yeah, you can be a lot of different places. So you have to kind of limit it. I think the general wisdom right now is to do one at a time. I would say Facebook is still the best, the biggest reach. It's uh, 1.3 billion users right now worldwide. Hard to beat with any place else except YouTube. And YouTube is near is over a billion. So that would be the first two places. It would be Facebook and YouTube. Now, when you do YouTube, are you, is there a, uh, is there any data to like do a vlog format or do you do just music videos on your YouTube channel type of thing? Or is it a combination of both? It's a combination of both with YouTube. You know, with any social media, I think one of the things that's really important is to, you have to be consistent. So you have to have a schedule of when you're going to release stuff. You tend to lose audience if you're not consistent. So that means if, and and, and the other flip side of that is you can't do it too much because you lose your audience that way too. So for instance, on Facebook, it's been found that once a day, maybe twice a day is the max. Uh, on YouTube, it's every other day, every third day is about right. Okay. Um, and you can get by with less on both, but you have to be very, uh, consistent with when you do it. If you decide you're going to do it every Tuesday, you have to do it every Tuesday, you know, regardless. Yeah. I was also going to say I've with some of the groups I've worked with also, there seems to be 
the wrong balance of how much you're actually doing cool stuff and then how much you're talking about the cool stuff. Like I've worked with some groups where they're really good at the social media and talking about what they're doing all the time. And they, they post on a regular schedule and they're constantly doing updates. <clears throat> the problem is they're spending all their energy talking about what they're doing when the truth is if they would talk about it a little less and maybe actually do some more behind the scenes <laughs> videos yeah. or, you know, actually create content because you build the audience, they have to come to see and hear something. So you have to find that balance about how much time you're spending doing stuff and how much time you're spending talking about the stuff you're doing. You know, I find when I watch vlogs, I get kind of bored. Yeah. You know, I, yeah. I look, there's a couple like audio vlogs out there and there's a couple things and it's just like, it just doesn't hold me. I just, I don't want to see, as soon as I see that, tra that traditional, you know, busy background with the camera facing and the person talking, it's like, how many times have you seen it? And even if they have the best content in the world, it's just, it's just too much. Just, it just blends all together. They like, don't hold you. It doesn't hold. It's, it's all different. Hey, do you have a social media strategy for your, for your store? Um, we keep it caveman style, basically. <laughs> <laughs> uh, my wife, she likes social media. I use Facebook. Um, but, but, you know, I post up a couple things a day, not necessarily involved the store, period. Right. Uh, I do know that there are younger store owners and people that use Instagram. Uh, they may flash a record is here. Uh, we don't hustle records like that. That's why I, we don't sell online. When you come in, there it is. Wow. So... Uh, and you've got a great collection, but we'll talk about that in a little bit. But what happened, I, I do respect, and like what Bobby was talking about, you know, because we get calls, you know, I, we'll get calls from New York and uh, new groups and say we, we, they want to, they have something frontline that's out there and they need some place to do a, uh, an appearance. It's risky for us. It's very risky for us. I think of theft and I think of other things yeah. that could be a loss. Um, and it's only my wife and I, and sometimes just myself. So when you think of having uh, 40, 50, 60 people or even 100 or more for an unknown group and they can't prove that they can put those people in the place. Yeah. And it, it's, 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 it's a risk. You know, that's, that's really interesting because uh, – and especially your story because it has – it has such a great small feeling, but with a lot, there's a lot of product and you can, there's just a lot of product there. And the fact that you spend time talking to your customers and just getting to know them and stuff, it's like, I can see why that would be a, uh, a risky move, you know, to bring in a lot but, of people. But I do respect, uh, like, like what the guests are saying here, yeah. that you have to have PR yeah. in, in, in the, um, in that in that area you have to there's no way to even exist well you know your social presence doesn't have to be all-encompassing you can just take one particular platform and and just be good at it mm -hmm. and really that's the strategy you get good at one and then you move to another one then you move to another one and there's there's enough of them that you you basically have to find where your audience is for instance if if you find there on instagram 
and they're very active in Instagram, well, that's where you go first, for instance. So, that's true. And it kind of depends on the, the demographic. If it's a younger demographic, then they're probably more Instagram-oriented than they are um, Facebook. And they're on Facebook anyway, but they're probably more active on Instagram. Well, Snapchat. Sometimes they're, they're, they're Snapchat too. is another one. Yeah, and Instagram's a little hotter these days. Uh, Twitter has plateaued, and if anything, it's it's actually on the downhill. Yeah, because mm. of the Twitter trolls, and I don't know. It's just I, I I like I like Instagram. Like Audio Nowcast. If you go to Audio Nowcast, that's our Instagram. Um, it's just uh, it's really cool. It's a fun. Let's as a someone who wants to post stuff and someone who wants to follow people and things like that. It's actually I really see the validity, and it's just as instant as uh, as Twitter. Now, see the other thing is just because, and this is getting back to your original question, just because you're on a platform doesn't necessarily mean that you know how to use it to promote yourself or your music, because just being there is not enough. Right. You have to know the the way to optimize your presence. So, of course, that's why I write books and do <laughs> and do blogs and stuff like that. It's to help you opt- optimize your presence and your your thinking because you can't just um, be there and expect it to work. For instance, uh, Instagram. The big thing on Instagram is hashtags, but unlike Twitter. Twitter, you can do a maximum of two on each tweet. And anything above that actually decreases your engagement, believe it or not. Really? Completely different on Instagram. Instagram, I've seen figures that say 11 and some that say 13, but regardless, it's really hard to overload it. And in fact, the more you do, the more engagement you have. You know what? I got to start doing way more hashtags. Yeah. Yeah, like, no, it makes a difference. Hashtag pro audio podcast. Hashtag well, really nice guys. Hashtag well, some hosts. That's the other thing too. It's important that you figure out which hashtags actually work for you. Yeah. So there are ways that you go and you research these hashtags in order to use instead of like on Twitter, people use ridiculous ones that, that will never help them at all. You mm. know, I like I like bottled water. Hashtag I like bottled water. I mean, uh, you know, okay, you made a, made a point, but it's not going to do anything for you. So you really have to make a a, um, a a research project of, you know, your hashtags in order to be proficient with it. That 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 is awesome. You know what? I never even thought about that. I, I don't, like, of course, it makes all the sense in the world now that you're telling me this, but... Because I post something on Audio Nowcast, and sometimes I won't even put a hashtag on, but I should put a hashtag on every single time. Absolutely. And it should overload it. Well, it's not overloading. It's just putting the accepted number. Yeah, let's, let's, put, it like let's put it that way. Yeah. So so put some hashtags. But, That's but a whole science of hashtags. But see, it's the same thing on, on video, for instance, for YouTube. There are so many ways to optimize a video that people don't utilize. And they take time, but it's not that much time. For instance, the description is the biggest thing. The longer the description, the better. And people will just put two sentences usually. It's not enough. 300 words is about right. And it describes everything in the video as well as everybody involved in the video, everybody that's in the video, plus the director, the producer, ev- everybody. Because don't for- don't forget that the second biggest search engine is YouTube. 
Mm-hmm. And that's what YouTube looks for. And that's what the search looks for. It looks in those descriptions. And if it finds a name that it likes, then of course that's going to pop up in somebody's search. That's genius. It's not genius. It's just, it's the way to optimize it. No, but that's like just the way you're like, Bobby, this is great information. You should write a blog. Wait. <laughs> you know, it was interesting. Your eyes gleamed on the last no, tidbit of information. No, it really is because seriously, I'm involved with this music project and um, and all this information. Like I, one of the reasons why I wanted to ask you all this is because I was trying to develop a social media strategy and and I'm actually working on the podcast social media strategy. Basically the podcast with the website that was being redo and spaces and things like that. Things are changing and uh, we're kind of on fire right now. We've had some amazing shows and it's just, we're getting our listeners up and, and we do no marketing and, and it's kind of growing. I'm going to um, give you a book that helps. <laughs> That'd be great. <laughs> but, but it can be, seem a little, um, just seem a little overwhelming, all of this. Yeah. Like, especially when you're studying from square one and literally I'm studying from square one on, on this other project and I'm like, oh, I got to talk to Bobby because I'm sure I'm not the only person because sometimes you hear about all these big numbers and you hear millions and you hear billions and it's that can be kind of scary. But the way you're, the way you're um, explaining it right now and just the small steps and how you can do it and things that you can optimize like with hashtags and, and um, the fact that YouTube is the second biggest search engine and things like that and 300 words for youtube description that's that is brilliant that's really great information and it also gives gives me a lot of hope the reason why i talk about these big numbers it's a fact first of all but it's to put everything in perspective it's not to scare people off and i realize it does that because it's really easy to look and say 10 million oh i'll never get there yeah i understand but on the other hand you have to think of the reality of getting paid because people look at, they say, well, I got a hundred thousand views or a hundred thousand streams and I only made six bucks. Well, yeah, but that's only a hundred thousand. It seems a lot to you, but in the digital age, it's not much in the grand scheme of things. So that's why I throw these numbers out as a way of kind of scaling your, your perception on it, on, on what's important and what the, the, the goal is. That's that's brilliant. Rob, were you going to say something? Yeah, I was just going to say, I think when, when you're putting together a social media strategy for a new project, one of the simplest things you can do that a lot of times people don't just sit back to do is think for a second about how, assuming you would be considered part of your own fan base, think about how you find new things out online. How do you find new videos? How do you find new bands? How do you find new books? How do you find new music? Whatever it is. Because the truth is, if you really sit back and analyze how you discover things, then a lot of these things become more obvious. You know, if you really pay attention to how maybe you discover things on Twitter, you'll realize the way the hashtags impact you. And the same with Instagram, the same with YouTube descriptions. It's really brilliant, solid advice. And to see how it react, how it relates to your own project, just think about how you actually discover things. It's a real eye opener when you when you stop just being a consumer of all this stuff and actually consume it, but analyze it at the same time. You you can learn a lot just by 
watching your own habits. Well, you know, you're so right because as a consumer, like when I look at stuff, I realize I like more and more video and I want to see more and more video and I want to see more and more pictures. And that's why, like with the podcast, you know, we started shooting spaces because um, it's going to have a whole new dimension to, to our podcast. I mean, I was... When we were in San Francisco after the Dave Smith, um, we went to Dave Smith. We, uh, uh, I went and saw um, Goldfrap over at the Warfield out there. And what's amazing is, first of all, it's a great venue. I don't know if you've ever been to San Francisco that venue, but it's a really great small venue, and they were really awesome. But everybody had their phones, and everybody's taping, and and it's just video is is like, it's just it's just changing the game on a lot of things. And you know, most of that stuff's going to get posted either in real time or it right then and there, or you're going to see it moments later. Yes. But what you have to understand is Facebook, for instance, is, has a very intelligent algorithm that will only feed you exactly what you want in terms of content. So for instance, you like video, so it's going to constantly feed you more and more video. If you don't like that, if you like more text-based or, or more uh, photo-based, that's what it's going to feed you. It, it learns what you like, mm -hmm. and it feeds you that. So you, you have to keep that in mind. Just because you like video doesn't necessarily mean that the people you're trying to reach. Sure. Like no, I, I understand that. This is actually, though, Bobby, this gives me a lot of hope, and I'm sure it gives a lot of people out there a, a lot of hope because, like you said, it can be kind of scary. And social media is, to some people, like, to certain generations, um, they, you know, the younger generation goes out there, they embrace it, they do the whole thing. Um, sometimes they do it without realization that there's consequences for this stuff. And they kind of do a, a little reckless and, you know, post certain things on your Facebook that years down the road, guess what? That could come back and, and haunt you. Um, Let me, can I ask a question? Sure. Uh, let's say, for instance, like uh, Mike's got this concept, an idea a dream to come true, and he's micromanaging. Let's say, for instance, this approach to the to the project, and he's uh, takes portions of your ideas and and robs here. But uh, let's say there's a there's this uh, growth and success without uh, coming out of your pocket, so to speak. At what point does uh, Facebook start knocking on your door saying? come on in, we need to talk. Right away. <laughs> and, and the reason why is if you have a thousand followers, friends, followers, mm -hmm. you only reach 2% of those with every post unless mm. you pay. So right away. Now, is this just posting regular or uh, knowing that you're out there trying to attract? Uh, no, it's just posting. It, it, it went from... About uh, five years ago, you could reach almost 100% of your followers. And then it started to drop and drop and drop. Then it was 15%, then it was 5%. Now it's, you know, 1% to 2%. Yes. Uh, so that's one of the impediments of trying to do it organically. It can happen organically, but there's, uh, there's like 2,000 pieces in the algorithm that it looks at. And it's very difficult. Uh, not impossible to be viral, but it's it's difficult. I will tell you this though that their advertising rates to boost a post they're not unreasonable. I mean, you could do something for twenty five bucks, you know, and you can do something for ten bucks. I do bucks. stuff for five and ten dollars a day. Yeah. I, now I spend about three thousand dollars a month in Facebook advertising. Sometimes it goes higher, sometimes it's a little lower. 
Uh, you just scared me right there. <laughs> well, 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 wait, wait. It's across six campaigns, mm. of which one is you know fifty, sixty bucks a day, sometimes a hundred bucks a day, and there are some that are only five dollars a day and ten dollars a day that that do very well for me. And and if I find and and the you know the thing about it is when you start to do advertising, you see what works, and if it works, then you do it more. <laughs> yeah. And if it doesn't, then you do it less. It's pretty easy. But you know you you just talked about boosting posts. Boosting posts are not the way to do it. No. 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 You want to go to the ad manager. The ad manager is your targeting options. Options are so much better. Ad man and you can take the same post to put it in the ad manager. Yeah, yeah, you can. It's much more effective. L let's put it like that, like this. Um, boosting a post is for amateurs. Here, <laughs> <laughs> weekend warrior. Yeah. Uh, um, if I may be so bold as to plug. Yes, I know plug absolutely. Yeah, yeah. This is a whole big plug for your. Um, my the latest edition, the second edition of. Social media promotion for musicians has just come out <laughs> in the last couple of weeks that goes through all of this stuff. Oh, this is perfect. Yeah. I mean, the timing could could not be better. Yeah. Uh, in hard copy. And, and No, it's in hard Kindle. copy? Hard you copy can... and okay. Kindle, yes. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, this, you know, we're, I'm going to have to cut it short right now. This has been a great first half, and we're going to we're gonna take a break. But, Bobby, you gave me hope. I'm actually excited. I'm like, I'm, I want to start because, you know, I'm going on this ride for the longest time with the, uh, with the podcast. Um, uh, we haven't done any promotion. We haven't done anything. And we're, you know, and now, especially with the new stuff that's coming down the pipe, I kind of want to go and, uh, and kind of just see what happens. And we've got some listeners and I'll tell you the, the best thing is when you start seeing your downloads and our downloads are going up and up and up. And that's actually really kind of exciting because it's kind of cool. I mean, we've had some pretty great shows this summer and we have some more coming up. Um, but it's really cool. And this has given me a lot of hope. Rob, did you want to say something? Yeah, I see a, I see a synergy here with you guys sitting across the table from each other. I think Bobby, instead of doing his as a book on tape, you should do a book on vinyl, and then Ken can sell it. <laughs> there we go. Yeah. That would be really interesting, actually. That's a really good idea. A book on vinyl. A book on wow. vinyl. <laughs> you heard it here first. Um, all right. Well, hey, we're going to take a break, and when we come back, we're going to finish talking with Kevin, and uh, we're going to talk about more of this stuff because he's got a lot of stories, and uh, we're going to talk vinyl. I mean, come on, vinyl. In today's age, it's awesome. All right, so we'll see you on the other side. You're listening to the Audio Nowcast, sponsored by API. Have a question for the panel? Would you like to be a guest on the Audio Nowcast and live in the LA area? Email us at audio at nowcastnetwork.com. Hey, welcome back to the Audio Nowcast. And before the break, we were talking, well, Bobby Osinski just gave me hope. <laughs> just gave me a lot of hope. Um, you know, it's one thing to hear about all these big numbers, but when you break it down and the fact that you can just put in some time and effort and kind of build things, it's it's really great. Um, so thank you, Bobby. This is uh, going to be a really... This is, this is going to be a show that people will listen to over and over again for the references. Um, but now I want to visit with... Uh, our good friend here, uh, 
Kevin Donan. Um, like I said, Kevin owns a record store. Um, and it's, you know, it's not just a record store because it has so much personality and it has, uh, just the collection is fantastic. Um, and it's, uh, as the record turns and you've had that store for like 30 years, right? 30, 30 years. And then some. So tell us a little bit about your store and about, uh, you know, how you started the store and, uh, and you know. Well, uh, it was about that same time, a little couple years before my wife and I got married. And um, I was a major enthusiast of records. I actually got a real serious beating from my dad at three years old. Wow. I, I was born and raised in Flint, Michigan. And so uh, being a child of the 50s, I never forgot the Whammo commercials. You know, they had the hula hoops and they had the Frisbees. And so I went downstairs in the wintertime <laughs> and saw these black discs. And I said, these probably are my dad's Frisbees. And so uh -huh. I opened the door and we had about 18 inches of snow. So I just threw these black discs out there. They were 10 inch, right? Uh, I didn't know. Yeah, we had a black and white TV, so it looked it looked black on TV. <laughs> so all of a sudden, uh, my father came home a few days later, asked where was his uh, Parker at uh, Storyville, and uh, you know these I, these names I never heard before. I'm three and a half years old, and I said, "What is he talking about?" He was shouting about you know his uh, Dave Brubeck and things. I'm like, who are these? All of a sudden, that was December, March. The snow melt. <laughs> and it was black Stonehenge. <laughs> I got a fierce beating because you know, I had three younger brothers. Uh, yeah, three. One was a, being held, and the other two were looking at me getting really a seriously whooping. But uh, that was my introduction to records. <laughs> and so I never really ever touched his turntable, ever. I was 18, and I would say, can you play that for me? And I had my own, but, you know, he I, he turned me on to Pink Floyd. You know, he, he, was, he was ahead. He had the first quad system in Michigan. Wow. In, in 1971, I think, JVC quad. You didn't touch his system, and, uh, and he had a wall of records. He was a tool and die. In General Motors, but when he came home, you know, other some dads went out and drank it all up. He didn't. He he bought records and not a lot of records, but he it was a wide ray. You know, could have been David Sanborn, John Klemmer, could have been Andy Williams, Johnny Mathis. So I heard a a wide spectrum of different. Uh, he loved Santana. He went to see Santana. You know, so you know until he almost died. Uh, you know, years ago, but. Um, I was raised in Michigan, and then uh, at 16, I toured with my own band as a, a, a teenage band opening for the Dells, the Ohio Players, Parliament Funkadelic. Then I turned 17. Wow. And so uh, Michigan was getting smaller. Uh, the Michael Moore story was right there <laughs> in the making, you know. Yeah. General Motors was—I felt—I did my time in General Motors, and then I just said, uh, I don't think so. You know, Motown had left, you know. Uh, not too many labels were growing in Michigan. So it was, I flipped a coin, actually, either New York or 
come to California. And so uh, the coin fell toward the, you know, the California. <laughs> and uh, But when I got here, I went straight to the Musicians Union, opened up the book on drummers because I was a drummer. Right. And I said, man. These are the same guys that are on the back of the album covers. I don't think so. You know, so I did a session or two and even played uh, a week with Buddy Miles, who was actually a great guitar player. Yeah, right. yeah. yeah I, I got some pictures of him playing guitar. And uh, some of the guys I saw on stage when he had the Buddy Miles Express opening for Deep Purple and things like that, I, I started behind the scenes. I worked at a clothing store on Hollywood Boulevard, you know, being in my early 20s and then yeah, there was a guy that owned, I saw, <laughs> like the Blues Brothers, these guys had long coats on going into a store at night. I mean, into the building at night, and I was closing the store, clothing store up for the evening, and I said, you guys musicians? I said, yeah. Uh, uh, what's upstairs? Oh, a studio. Want to come up? I got the bug. These guys, ha they they had their own little four-track, uh, you know, 27, uh, uh, 2740 uh, uh, TAC. And reel to reel, model five, but nobody could push the faders for them because they were on the other side. So I, you know, my, my father had a, a reel to reel TX, so I, you know, I knew how to put the tape on. And uh, you guys ready? So I just self taught. You know, when they come back, they want to play their mix down. I watch how they were doing it. One was going to school for engineering, and I would read the book while he's in there playing the drums and playing the guitar and bass. So it was kind of like self taught, but. Uh, you know, the time to put that energy in was what I was all about. Right. And so then uh, years of, uh, you know, moving people around in studios and, you know, whether they were platinum or not, it didn't matter. It was just trying to help other people out. Right. And then uh, picking up books, you know, reading, you know, the laws of publishing and management. So I put that little helmet on and bounced around. And then it came down to, um, uh, I, you know, I got my my lovely wife. I'm, we got married. And then at the end of the day, you know, we still needed more. And so we both had something in common. She met the Beatles. I never met the Beatles. Wow. She met the Beatles. <laughs> I've never met the Beatles. I met George Martin. Right. We had a conversation, but right. I never met the Beatles. Right. And so— uh, uh, and Paul Anka and everybody in that era. And so I, we both had something in common. We love music. So I said, let's buy used records. And there was a guy that uh, had a used bookstore in Glendale. And he asked me, hey, there's somebody that's selling records inside of their bookstore. What do you know about records? And he said the wrong thing because I knew about that. Right. So I got a table about the size of this table here. And uh, you know, an eight foot by um, by by two and a half foot wide, and filled it up, and saw the checks coming in week to week. Wow! Still gave a percentage to the to the their facility, but it it opened up that opportunity. And and I have to thank uh, uh, Mike uh, Mike uh, Stock Stockton, I think his name is, who uh, opened uh, Record Surplus on the West Side. Uh, said. Pick anything you want for three weeks, because I said I was going to have something, and then, and then we, with that inventory, we opened up our own store. Now, did you open it up at, in Hollywood Boulevard? Is that where? And, you, yes, in the same location. The same location. And and I I was actually um, I had worked in the pressing plant at Capitol okay. in '79, 
And uh, as a decorator, I worked in the computers. We wore like the Honeywell computer room and <laughs> the, where you put those reels in. Right. But I would walk out into the pressing plant. It was amazing. And I met three or four pressing plants, the owners here. So I still kind of have an on, on-premises. Uh, you know, when somebody said, well, I want to make a record. Well, they don't know anything about making a record, you know. They they know the they don't know the procedures, the mastering, the plating, and all that, and uh, that those are important factors, you know. Uh, getting a a a, a two step mother versus a one step mother, and all these little uh, little things. But it's it's an exciting world, you know, inside of just being inside of the vinyl and records and management. Right. And, and once you find your niche, then you enjoy. So, so you went and you opened up your store over at the Artisan Court, right? Correct. Which that it's a I don't know if you know where that is, but it's just right off of Holly Boulevard. And seriously, if you blink, you'll miss it. <laughs> but it's such a cool like that. That place has been around for a hundred years. That little that it's little. His, it's a historical landmark. Yeah. You know, from the Boulevard on back, it's directly across from the um, American Cinematheque, which is the yeah. Egyptian Theater, yeah. which was almost I believe uh, Hollywood's first theater. Then. Um, uh, 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 Chinese Chinese Theater was the sister. Yeah, same person. Grumman yeah. opened Grumman, that one. Grumman, Grumman opened yeah. the Chinese Theater mm-hmm. too, um, which is kind of crazy when you think that little store has been there and saw the original. You know, it was there before the the Egyptian Theater was, and then mm-hmm. yeah, it's it's amazing. But so now you got you have your store, and and you've seen, and it's a uh, you know, do you, well there was a, there there was another situation because. I was really still doing another nine to five. And I said to myself, and I'm still talking to people, getting them into studios and right. things like that. I wasn't really walking around with a calculator, you owe me this or that. I just loved the business. Right. And I didn't look at, and my wife will always blame me for this, I didn't look at that as business. I love helping people. <laughs> and so we've met, we've met, you know, you you wouldn't believe the people we met and in, 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 in their cars or whatever, and they all have a story. Right. Uh, getting in and getting out. And so uh, I walked into this warehouse on Melrose. It was about a block from uh, uh, Paramount Film Studios, and it was A1 Record Finders. And there I found a, a niche there. They needed somebody to, you know, be an assistant in, 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 in the thing, and I became an independent contractor. Because they... They did not want to really. They had a lot of records, but they didn't want to really buy records. So when it left, it left. They may have had twenty-five copies of the party by Henry Mancini, but when it got down to five, they said, "Well, we still got five. Yeah, but they weren't sealed or whatever. And at the time, the Japanese fell in love with Henry Mancini. You know, they had lived through. uh, Hugo went to Halter and all those other things, but they right. focused in on the iconic uh, com- American composers. And so I just went around town and found the things that I saw leaving. And then, of course, everybody else in other stores and maybe thrift shops at that time were falling asleep at the wheel, selling it for 50 cents. Right. There's three copies. There it is. And I'm selling it for 25. But I would make sure that our conditioning of quality was better. And so I started putting one there for the uh, for the uh, warehouse for myself, which I still had to give thirty three and a third away to the house. <laughs> <laughs> but then I would bring uh, the other two copies where we would 
have 100% at the at the sure. boulevard. Sure. And so um but every day, there was no Google, so the phones were ringing. Dick Clark Productions, Bob Hope Entertainment, Hanna-Barbera, and the list goes on. Every music publisher, every record label was looking for their own things, and they didn't know what they were looking for. And what dates were these? About the— 86, 86. through 95 I got and you. on. So that's when they you're starting to get the digital revolution coming in. It was it was in place. Uh, it was in place because a lot of the, the, this is what confuses the and I know Bobby and, and Robert knows this. You, you know because you see those reviews, the labels they 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 spit the money out there for the reviews and at the very bottom available on CD and album. Yes, it's available on album, but to the parent company in 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 England or in Germany. To Polydor or whoever EMI, right. and they press up five, ten thousand copies there as a boutique for the Smashing Pumpkins or whatever. But it was never released on vinyl in the United States. So you. somebody will say psychologically, but it's on vinyl. I saw it. No, you didn't see it. You read it. Yeah. In Billboard or Record World or whoever, and then you know. But I can't chastise them. And then sure. they're spending years looking for something that don't exist. It does exist. But when they put the record out and the label was behind them, they it went a mil it went a million. Well, guess what? A million people bought bought this song on this product, and they only had twenty thousand vinyl. Wow. So yeah, you saw it. A friend of yours said they had it. And you don't have a copy because there's no more. And the label's on to the next project. The next Britney Spears is selling 15 million copies or something. So they were the labels were still producing albums back in the day, even even though they weren't being sold per se, because it was all the uh, CDs and everything. But there was actually still records that were being for the iconic artists. For the iconic artists, Michael Jackson, Prince, uh, Madonna, uh, Elton John. The, Rob, the, the money makers. Rob, do you uh, do you have any records? Do you have any records still? Do you, did you? Oh, I have a yeah, I have a big record collection. What's your address? <laughs> <laughs> right now, I'll give you my address. Right now. <laughs> Wait, Bobby, how about you? Do you have a record collection? Do you have a big record collection? No, I have none. I've lost lost them all in various moves. Oh wow! Of which I could. I don't want to think about yeah, it. Yeah, okay, let's not, let's not talk. I don't have, I have one record, one record, and the record that I have is, it's Ken Kane, actually, from Sound Brigade, gave it to me for my birthday a while back. Um, it's, <laughs> it's Men Without Hats. Oh, okay. <laughs> because, is there a reason for behind that? <laughs> well, because I really like the CD. Because, like, when I grew up, I grew up with cassettes, right? And so I had cassettes, cassettes, and then you I made like it. like the synthesizers on it. <laughs> exactly. Okay, I get it. And then uh, I got it. It's a. It's actually a really. It's a. If if you get past Safety Dance, it's actually a really good album. <laughs> safety Dance is like was way overplayed, but uh, I just wanted to find out what everybody had with vinyl. And you know what? I have Safety Dance on vinyl. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, but the question is why. <laughs> well, I don't travel with it. It's not like. <laughs> it's in the pile. <laughs> that's hilarious. Yeah, so that that's my only vinyl. Having said that, I'm I'm thinking about, you know, I, I wouldn't mind getting back into it, you know, because man, you hear good vinyl on a good turntable and it sounds so good. Although to get to the good turntable part with a good needle and the good speakers, it's it's kind of an investment, which um I guess anything with quality. But anyway, so 
so you put together, you have all, you have your shop, you you buy used, you buy people's collections, right? You have some amazing collections. Well, no one's allowed to come into the store to sell uh, because uh, what happens is that uh, the worst things happen. I don't know where these records came from. Oh. And we are licensed, you know, secondhand, uh, like a pawn shop. Okay. And uh, one worse incident that I can recall, a guy comes in. He's sweating heavy. <laughs> As a okay. young kid, too, and says, "My uh, he had a, a, a real army duffel bag that, that was about three feet high. And he happened to be about 6'2", so he could handle it, you know. But he was like 23, 24, and says, my uncle gave me these records. And they were all from Bill, right? Elvis Presley, uh, uh uh, uh, Chuck Berry, and and the and a good portion of them were first pressings. So I said, well, you know, uh, no, 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 no. If I'd have said fifty bucks, he'd have taken it. And wow. it was about 300, 300 records, all signed. I mean, all I- icons, you know. Wow. And maybe people remember Aaron's records. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So um, about. Two days later, I get a call from Bill, <laughs> and says, and he knew me. He says, Kevin, do you do? Did anybody come in to the shop of selling? I said, you know what? There was somebody, and I didn't take him. Uh, you know, you know, he could have said a dollar, and I just there was some guilt. I just sent him on down out the door, and he called Aaron's, and they had they bought him. And then I, I I do believe he got them returned to him. Wow! But uh, yeah, th- that's one of the thing. That's one of the nightmares of 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 buying secondhand and where you you know somebody can tell you, oh, I I I recorded these at ten gram. I'm like, do you really know what you just said? It's <laughs> 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 too much weight. But <laughs> these are all original record, original master recordings too. And I'm like, oh no, wow. And so I pass on a lot of stuff. But I go out and now. It's like I I buy off the walls. I buy trophies. That that because the store only likes trophies. Right. You you know you've got. <laughs> you have to go there. It's really fascinating. It's just fun to go and to flip through and to see the album covers and just to see some of the really. I've cool seen things tears. Like- I really have seen tears. I've seen uh, wives, ex-wives, family members, the artists themselves, and uh, even artists with their with their family and said, "See, I told you." I oh. stuff. And it was wow. uh, one time I got a call and I knew. I could hear from the from the uh, uh, from the uh, sound in the background. The call was coming from Amoeba, and so because I'm the first on the list that they refer people to, right? Uh, you know, so uh, there was a nice guy with a Cockney accent. Hello, uh, I was told that uh, you would possibly have my. Uh, he didn't say my. You would possibly have these records that I'm looking for, and it was like a Tuesday. He says. Uh, what time do you open? I said twelve to six, Monday through Saturday. Could you possibly open? At ten thirty on Thursday, <laughs> he's definitely ca- catching my cafe time. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so at ten twenty five, I'm vacuuming the floor. You know, uh, you know I said yes, I, I'll open for you. And all of a sudden, at ten thirty, this gentleman knocks on my door. Hello, I'm Donovan. And I'm like, oh, oh yeah, you are Donovan. <laughs> Come on. And he had Linda Jones with him. Brian Jones. Um, he married. You know, yeah. and uh, and their grandson, and that was, uh, you know, for me, 
They call me Mellow Yellow. Like, you know, you got me. You got me. I love, you know, I grew up listening to everything. And I, you know, he was surprised we had his records. And he was actually in need of them to give to a director friend mm. because they were doing a project on him. So there's those kind of little stories. Yeah. There's millions of them. And I, I, I couldn't tell you if I made any money on that. I just right. enjoy it. <laughs> well, well, you know, you, you mentioned that you get calls from television shows and films mm -hmm. and things like that. Are they renting those records? It's me? against the law to rent. You know, it's such a big business in Japan. I know it, but it's a different, it's a different uh, yeah. law. Uh, no, uh, they can borrow to return. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's just say it no, works out. It, 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 it works out that they buy it. And they return it. There's a certain refund. Yes, right. Yeah, 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 right. Yeah, yeah. Well, there's a really service good. charge. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. Correct. That makes that makes because, sense. Because uh, well, it's over a thousand movies. Yeah. And then 700 television shows for eight years. I, I was so shocked. Uh, my wife and I went to the Motown um, uh, uh, play that was at the Pantages. So I'm there, and there's Barry Gordy. We 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 know each other. My name's plastered on every Motown Master series for 18 years. Hmm. Yeah, you because know, we're the archivists outside. So we've been the archivists for Sony uh, publishing and things like that. And I get, why did you? Uh, one time the artist came in. Why did you uh, give them that record? I said, well, the label had folded. There was nobody else that had the records. Right. I had them all in shrink wrap. Wow. Wow. So they said, well, thank you. But actually, sometimes, like, I remember I got a call from Bobby Womack, and he was in a lawsuit with um, a lawyer, the, the Otis Smith, who owned Beverly Glen Records at the time. And they were asking me for the records, and I said, oh, it's for Bobby. Oh, no. <laughs> and so Bobby calls up and says, let him have it. Because he, they had released some kind of money to him, sure. and him and Patty Labelle. <laughs> so this was the dark <laughs> stories, you know. But um, you know, you get you get these uh, you you get surprises, you know. Like I, I had an engineer for Richard Perry one time, and I, that was it was a bizarre thing. We were at uh, a rehearsal place out in the valley, and and so this uh, the MD hired me for it, and he says uh, Richard already knew who you were. I said, Oh, really? He said, Yeah, because you, you do fresh ears. And I remember I I, I was with Muhammad Ali, and it was a, a, the the week that he was going to go and get his. Um, surgery in uh, Mexico. So I was in the boxing business for a short moment. So all of a sudden, I'm there in the hotel, and then the, the Chicago Muslims come in, and, you know, they, they they were nice, but you could tell their presence was like, we have to talk to Malone. Yeah, so well, I said, I called back to A&M Records. I'll come and do the fresh years. I'm, I'm, I'm done. Right. I had my moment. So I'm there, and Herb Albert is standing at the doorway, and I, I was like, uh oh, what's this? Okay, this is serious. The envelope was waiting for me at the at the gate. I put it in my pocket. It was the money ahead of time, and I walk into the studio, and there's, um, there's uh, Peter Frampton was kicked out. He he was crying the day before. I was told, he was told he couldn't play. By, by people there, I was like, oh no. So it was crash and burn. It was um, they were like two months on four songs. For what? For what? No, on, on Herb's record? No, not Herb's. Uh, it was another record. But it, but what happened? I'm in there, so everybody has to leave for fresh years, and I pull all the faders down, and I bring it up to where I think is a happy medium. So it's about ten, fifteen minutes, you know. And then all of a sudden, there was a gentleman on the very end, and I and I 
I, he was there look, reading the Wall Street Journal. So I, I got to about number 44. I said, you know what? You just sit on the couch. Let me just. He said, okay. So about 10 minutes later, he, gets, he was back at the board. He says, you know what you're doing? I, I said, no, I'm just hearing it. He says, I'm Jimmy Iovine. And I said, I said I'm Kevin Donut. I, I didn't think of who he was at the moment. But this group was the group he was going to sign and on Interscope. And Interscope wasn't formed yet. This was the group that was dropped from the deal to go get the deal. Hmm. And then I guess uh, Rico Suave was the hit that he went with next in the next three months. He just, he was done. He had, this was 225000 real money when they used to produce records. Wow. Yeah, so I, I, my, my life's all over the board. Well, <laughs> so you were engineering or you were just... Well, you wait, were, wait, wait. Rob, do you have that record, Rico Suave? <laughs> Funny enough, I have it right here. <laughs> no, I am proud to say I do not own Rico Suave. <laughs> uh, uh, so you were you were engineering at that time, or you were you just I, I, was that you just doing a playback? I was, I was just called in for a playback, four figures, uh, and wow. uh, and then I I got a call about. About three months later, uh, and then Richard Perry needed, uh, he was selling, he wanted to sell Thelma Houston. He picked up Thelma Houston. And apparently, uh, I'd never seen like Joe Smith and Clive Davis. It was just 20 seats of, no A&R men. Wow. These were all signatories. You know, they were all there. And uh, for the... Um, uh, for the showcase at right. SIR in the biggest room. So I hired a guy for $50 to run the other 23 faders. <laughs> and so, and so, and so uh, there was a problem with one of the uh, one of the guys thought it was his time wow. to shine. And so Richard said, it was about five minutes before, you know, and Clive Davis walked in, sat down, everybody shaking hands, Barry Gordia, and he said, pull the plug on the guitar player. I'm like, What? <laughs> Yeah, pull the plug. You 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 saw him there at the rehearsal. I said, yeah. I said, pull the plug. Wow. So here's a guy in the band thinking he's playing, and I just saw the frustration. He he was looking <laughs> for a new knob that wasn't even on his guitar. <laughs> That's funny. I, I have a story like that. Ahead, I, I was uh, I was mixing the birds. <laughs> wow. And and this was the revamped birds with most of them in the band. And uh, Bef- after it, pre-flight, God, I can't tell you uh, when it was. It, it was for a live simulcast, mm. and the producer comes up behind me and he, and he says, oh, "Where's Gene's guitar? Gene Clark, the Clark. singer." I said, "Right there." And he took the fader and he pulled it right down. <laughs> and this was midway through the first song. So Ooh. Gene played the whole show <laughs> for himself. That's that's yeah. that's cruel, but actually kind of funny. We call that vibration. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> you only feel the vibration. Yeah. So let me ask you, what were what are some <coughs> excuse me, what are some of the um movies and television shows that you've uh, supplied uh, vinyl for? Uh Okay, let's say for instance, every record in Howard Stern's hands in private parts. Uh, that was a, you know, uh, they, I got the call. We're talking fax machine time. So um, P, uh, Peter Afterman, 
uh, noted uh, he he's uh, I, he's uh, he handles publishing of James Brown and the Rolling Stones now, and so he calls up and says, Kevin, I need uh, a list because the the film was all New York, right? And so Peter is known out here, and he does a lot of music supervision, and so. He calls up and he says, oh, we're going to go three-way. I say, okay, well, okay. So all of a sudden there's this voice. And I, I've been listening to this person uh, on, on radio forever. I, and he says, hold on, this is Howard Stern. I said, oh, my God. I said, you know, okay. <laughs> so I, I had to just be cool, you know. And so, and so he says, uh, do you see the list coming over the uh, thing? I said, yeah, I got it, I got it. It's 32. It was, you know, the Ramones and things like that. And so, and so he said, we'll call you back. In, in in about twenty minutes, they call back fifteen minutes, and how I I hear Howard in the background. I, so okay, uh, Peter uh, Peter said uh, okay, Howard, he's on the phone. So he says, uh, 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 "What do you have?" I said, "I have twenty two of the thirty two you need." And he said, "Oh wow, thanks. Do you have dupes?" <laughs> I was like, oh, "Okay, mm. yeah. <laughs> wow, uh, yeah." And then Mars attacks, you know. Uh, you know, the, all the Slim Whitman records that was in that movie, oh, you know, yeah. and, that, and Lady, uh, you know, uh, Karina, Karina. I did a lot of uh, uh, searching for um, uh, Ron Fair. Uh, Ron Fair is a nice, sweetheart guy. He was over at RCA. Yeah, yeah. And, um, oh, God, was, you know, a um, lot, of, lot, of, lot of different movies. Uh, Disney, it, it, to get a letter out of Disney was, was, a, was a different uh, situation. Wow. You know, uh, I I was a curator for um, Alan Douglas for the Hendrix Estate. Oh, so yeah. so I have about seventy five letters from you know who's who, uh, Lou Adler. So a lot of those movies, whatever they were doing, or archiving as well. And um, yeah, wow, that's that's this is just kind oh, of like me like away. like the shows for uh, all the records on on for usage or for display. Yeah, that's why our covers are you know hidden and our vinyl we try to make sure is 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 on point. At that time, a lot of companies were you know they have they're so so huge they have these built in we're going to use it and you can't sue us but you know we got petty cash here to take care of whatever we need because somebody may have passed away or emergency story and and like the the networks the the, the news networks at the time really before cable had game came into place like MTV started popping up things and having like that Quincy Jones uh was we we had a lot of things with him wow and his pet peeve now is that uh he wants the original thrillers we just did something uh, 50 right uh another company had subcontracted his his appearance to be somewhere and as a gift to a to these people uh it was like personalized to them wow so they have to be that's pretty cool pretty Pretty shape. Let me let me ask you because um, I want to talk about this because we're running out of time. Oh, but, sure. But uh, um, you helped. I was doing some reading, and you helped uh, Dr. Dre. You worked with him with uh, picking some samples and things he like that. He would never say that in public. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, Suge Knight's checks don't bounce uh, <laughs> at that time. Uh, uh, yeah, things things. Uh, the first time we met, I didn't know who he was. Nice jeans, everything, but I never, you know, you know. He says uh, somebody told me you know about uh, uh, drums, pretty good. I said, yeah, yeah, you know. So he, the stack was pretty big. I didn't think that was the, you know, we let him 
you know, he was just picking what he wanted. I, I said, uh, hold on. You, you know, I'm going to make money on this little stack here, and I don't feel that you're going to get justification. So why don't you give me a number? So he gave me his phone number. I said, I'll call you later tonight. I played 1045s. He didn't recognize but one. And I'm saying this on air. <laughs> so, so we bonded after that, and then I pulled some stuff that was was a little bit more um, to his liking. Even uh, the hits with Leon Haywood. I was in the studio with Leon Haywood doing some of that stuff uh, when he was over. At- okay, wait. So he wanted this to sample then? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, I get it. Oh no, no, no. This yeah, is yeah, yeah. the chron. He was doing the chronic. Yeah, yeah. I didn't I know it. who he was. Yeah. You know, then um, so you're responsible for some pretty darn iconic uh, drum samples. I mean, to show him some of these because that gets that gets resampled yeah. all the yeah, time, yeah. right? And and you know, the, he he's he knows what he's looking for, right? Exactly. Once it's in front of him, yeah, yeah. So the thing was, when you you know look at a lot, and you got to remember, he had arrived, but not where he is today with the money. So it's like uh, there are certain records that you know and I know, you know, it could have been a Led Zeppelin record. He may not have known that that was a Led Zeppelin record. So he could have walked on it trying to get to something that looked black. And so that's where, you know, uh, that's where I came in because his his half-brother, Warren G., was the one who turned him on to coming to see me, even though I had not met Warren G. Wow. There was like a hidden word because Biz Markey was the one who kind of could get into this warehouse where we were, and we were not really open to the public. And then um, uh, Naughty by Nature, you know, uh, my tax guy is going to kill me right now. <laughs> but it was five figures, you know, to to talk to me. And... Uh, so that's where I, I was able to find good records because I was making money as a consultant. Right. And, uh, I, you know, I'm a married man. You know, they had fun in the studio, things that, uh, you know, uh, a, a, a nun would not, wouldn't want you to go uh, be involved <laughs> in. But, I mean, there were so many um, uh, different artists that, uh, 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 oh, God, I can't. All, all the- well, if you go to your website, I'll, I'll help you out because literally on your website, if you go to AsTheRecordTurns.com, you just you list all the people you've consulted with and all the people you've been. I mean, I got um, phone calls from the hotel room with the Beastie Boys. Hey, do you? Have- <laughs> We're in St. Louis. I'm like, and so I didn't realize that Mario C was like running. Hey, Kevin, I just got in from Portugal. I'm looking for, and they, you know. They, they they had endless budgets to a degree. The, and these guys, the drugs came second, the fun came second, the music came first. And wow. that's where I could sense the, the relationship was there. So we would just be really like in the crates, so to speak. Um, we're going to have to wrap it up here, Kevin, but I got I to gotta ask you one one quick thing. Yes. Uh, of, you have your store is phenomenal. Um and I recommend people go to AsTheRecordTurns.com and you can read about it and see, see some pictures. You've been involved with music. You have, um, you know, from some of the stuff we've talked about, some of the collections mm-hmm. and the, the old records, the Frank Sinatra's and all all this stuff. Has there ever been a record that you've acquired that you just like, like the Holy Grail, like, oh my goodness, I can't believe I have this record. Like, was there one that sticks out? Oh, man. 
Other than safety dance. <laughs> Enrico Suave. Yeah, yeah, right. Enrico Suave. <laughs> um, uh, God, uh, yeah. I love so much music. Right. And you know, and that's okay if there hasn't been, because. But I, but is there one that, that's just for its collector's value? Uh, well, there, there's, you know, I, I, you know, the relationships between um, having uh, a record and meeting the person who was involved. Like George Martin was a was a great moment. You know, um, and I, all these guys were standing around with Beatles records to be signed. I had George Martin's records to get signed. You know, I had an appreciation for who he was. Wow. You know, because I heard, uh, you know, those, those um, in-between takes. You thought it was a garage band. But when he said, boys, are you ready? He was the, he was the general. Hmm. You can tell from his – I've been to Abbey Road, thanks to my wife. Uh, and – a little side bit. I sold musical instruments, and when this fourteen-year-old kid came in, African American kid with uh, with a Lacoste shirt, he says, uh, uh, I, "I was told to come see you because I I only got two hundred dollars, and I, I I have an acoustic guitar, and I need an electric guitar." And I said, <laughs> "I kind of joked because this is nineteen eighty, and you know." A real guitar, you're not going to get for 200 bucks. And I had a little credit at this location I was at, and we had a lot of guitars and stuff. So I said, mm, come back tomorrow with the empty guitar case, and we'll make it happen. I didn't think he was going to come back. Then he comes back the next day, and I had to make it happen. Uh, the 14-year-old kid went on the bus, opened the guitar case. It was Lenny Kravitz. And so their stories, I you know. Wow. And, he, and then we met uh, at, at a Barry Gordy's uh, family wedding. He was there, and we uh, he he had arrived. He had the wife, <laughs> Lisa Bonet, and yeah. he took pictures with me. He says, uh, and then we met a couple other times. And then I just got a call a couple years ago, real quickly. And then he, uh, 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 there was I was doing these documentary interviews, and so uh, this one guy left the country, and he, I wanted to make sure I reached out to him and I called him and he says, I'm in uh, Venice, Italy. Uh, uh, the, the person you want to talk to, I will, uh, you know, uh, when I come back, we'll do it. Yep. So I hung up the phone. I said, oh, I forgot to answer a question. Text him a question. And, I sh I sh and three minutes later, he texts me back. Somebody in my hotel room wants to know, are you the same Kevin Donan that sold musical instruments on Hollywood Boulevard in 1980? <laughs> and I said, yes, dot, 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 that's me. The phone rings. And he says, Kevin, Matthew, hold on. Kevin is Lenny Kravitz. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a great story. Well, hey, listen, Kevin, we're going we're gonna to have to uh, wrap it up. But you know what? This has just been a great visit. And I, I really, I, I mean, there's so, we're going to have to have you back because Thank I, you. there's so much that we, we didn't talk about as far as how vinyl is now. It's kind of on the upswing again. And you saw it go up and you saw it come down and you've seen it going back up. And it's just a lot of great stories. But, you know, if there's one thing that I've noticed and, and, and hearing Kevin speak, um, even though he's been on, on the other side of you know, the record, the whole thing, music there's just a lot of different avenues and you, a lot of different stories, whether you're on the production side, you're on the performing side, you're on the retail side. It's just what a, it's just so great. I mean, I love hearing stories like that because I know in my own life through teching and mixing and things like that, you just, it's a great, great 
thing. And it's just really great the way it all kind of works out. And I, I'm so glad I, I, I just strolled into your store. I'm so glad I just decided to talk to you. And he's, look, Kevin didn't know me from Adam when I walked into his store and I was just so enthralled and we just started talking. And he's such a, a pleasant um, individual. And he's there, man. You go to his store, he's sitting right there. So I want to encourage people, if you're in Los Angeles, or even if you're going to come visit, you need to make his store one of your stops. I guarantee you it will not disappoint. It's two rooms, but you go in there. And and what I like about your store, and I'm going to give you this, I know I'm kind of gushing right now, but it's so worth it. You go into his store and everything is accessible. You can just flip through the, through the, um, through the records. And they're all like, some of these, you know, the classic Led Zeppelins, first edition, things like that, they're just right there. And they're not like, you know, you get, you know, collectors or you go to some places and they put them behind glass and you can't see them. And here <laughs> you can see them and you can touch them and you can look at the front and the back. And it's just, it was really great. And you don't have to wash store. your hands when you leave the store. <laughs> <laughs> it's just a great store, you know? Thank so, you. And your prices are reasonable. Really, they are. I was looking at some of the stuff and I'm like, wow, I can't believe you're only charging that much. And I'm not going to tell you which one either because I want to buy it. But anyway, <laughs> <laughs> but anyway Thank you so much for joining Pleasure. us. Thank I really appreciate it. Um, and before we get going, um, you're you're working on a documentary, right? You want to say uh, just something really quick well, about the, that? There's a there's a collection, a series of uh, like sci-fi records and and uh, black soundtracks, and uh, uh, and Latin records and other things that my wife and I have been painstakingly collecting over the last thirty years. Seeing how the foreign record buyers and the dealers and collectors are hoarding these records, and they don't come back. Right. That's the whole thing. And so, uh, once again, uh, on AutoDAO, we get the call, oh, do you have so-and-so, so-and-so? And I'm like, yeah, well, why don't you have your own copy? You know, and then they tell us, you know, the uh, the company that was sold out, and attorneys told them to dump the uh, storages. They didn't need it. And so we, we've been putting together, uh, uh, chronologically by years, um, and it's coming out in coffee table books, like the Tashin series. And so um, uh, also the uh, each page is uh, interactive, so you can use the Android or iPhone for image recognition. Oh, so it's a book. It's a coffee table book. Coffee table books. That's fantastic. That uh, we also went around. We have about 70 hours of 60, 66 interviews from John Landis all the way to – uh, Chuck Rainey, the greats, you know, uh, giving the backstories. And somebody did say, James Brown ain't shit. You know, like, <laughs> you know, so, and so there's a lot of that. That's uh, fantastic. And when is the books going to be coming out? When we're taking think? a collection after the show. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so it's self-published. Uh, at this time, I did get a call from a from a director. And he's, he says, uh, is the website up? I said, yeah, we've been working on it. So he says, I, he's got... We're, we're, we're just trying to make sure it's going to be correct. Great. Yeah. Well, I look forward to that. I'm going to keep tabs on you, and when that happens, you're going to have to let us know. And I'm just happy that Bob and Robert here was such a uh, reinforcement as far as, like, the micromanagement of, uh, of what takes place in every aspect, from, from being retail to also in publishing and, and, uh, and yeah. frontline. It's important. Uh, and get your social media up absolutely um rob before we go uh are you working on anything uh fun and exciting that you can talk about besides trying to stay awake i, tried to say, I was gonna <laughs> say fight the time zone uh 
Yeah, actually, for the last few weeks, anybody who knows my history knows I've done a lot of uh, music software programming for the blind. Oh, there, I didn't. Wow. I didn't violate my non-disclosure <laughs> by saying who it's for. But anybody who knows me knows who it's for. Um, but for the last few weeks, I've been working on a new non-visual composing setup and writing setup, and I've been doing this now for, I guess. Yeah, 32 years. Wow. And so this is probably the 15th generation of it, but this is by far the coolest. It's it's uh, it's based on Cubase and Pro Tools, and we're going to have DSD uh, recording in this one too, not just PCM. Wow. So that's a long topic for anybody who doesn't know what DSD is, but it sounds really good. Uh, and so I've been back to writing music software for the last few weeks, and it's been really, really fun. It's not 100% done yet. I'm getting constant pressure. I'm surprised I didn't get a call while we were trying to record this podcast, but getting constant pressure to get it done. I'm being told that it's holding up a certain artist's new album. <laughs> I wonder who that artist is. Yeah, exactly. And hmm. so it's my fault that the world is deprived <laughs> of a new album. But it's been really fun to be working on that for the last few weeks, and I'm hoping to have it done before we record our next podcast. And then I may actually be able to talk about it a little more because <clears throat> part of what I discovered in coming up with software for the blind many years ago is anything that makes a system easy or non-visual enough for a blind person to use generally makes it much faster for a sighted person to use. And wow. I end up using blind software myself too, because you don't have to look at the screen or the keyboard. You can focus on the music. Oh, that makes a lot of sense. So we can talk about that more, but I'm trying to get that done in the next week. Or hey, two and uh, maybe when that uh, finally launches, maybe we can, I don't know, have a conversation with one of your artists that you work with talking about I uh, know, software. I will have the conversation. <laughs> I, I was, uh, um, I did have a letter in Braille sent to that person. <laughs> yeah, I went down on Melrose and, um, and um, uh, what's the name of that street? In Vermont. To the Braille, uh -huh. to Braille to Institute, the Braille Institute. Yeah. and every every computer from 1976 is in there. <laughs> it's all antiquated because I I didn't realize that the Braille print cannot change. It's it's going to be that's forever. Yeah. Yeah, well, if you ever need to print anything else in Braille, I've got a room with old Braille printers stacked to the ceiling. I can hook you up. <laughs> I'll get you a deal. That's <laughs> awesome. Hey, Bobby, are you uh, are you working on anything uh, you can talk about? Yes, I'm really busy, as usual. <laughs> lots of stuff. And I'm uh, in pre-production for an album that I'm producing, so that's oh, kind fantastic. of fun again. How about you, Mike? Uh, well, like I said, I, uh, went, we went to uh, Dave Smith Instruments and shot an episode of... Uh, of spaces. It was really fun. And um, I just want to plug again that if you want to get one of the three uh, t-shirts, send me an email at audio at nowcastnetwork.com. That's audio at nowcastnetwork.com. And let's see. Um, oh, there was a uh, a series that I mixed, hit Netflix, Neo Yokio. It's an anime series. Um, mm -hmm. And you can watch that. It's getting panned, man. It's getting horrible reviews in the in the press. As long and, as they're not talking about the mixing. Okay. <laughs> no, no. But you know what? It was one of those things, and we'll have to talk about this. Where your first version is not the version that ended up, and it's and it's not either good or bad. It's just different. And I'm not going to say anything negative. But um, it's oh yeah, 
<laughs> at least not on mic. <laughs> but um, but it was it's kind of you know that's that's kind of cool. We did that last year and to see it come out. But hey, listen, uh, if you have any comments or questions, you can reach us at audio at nowcastnetwork.com. That's audio at nowcastnetwork.com. Um, we've got some really great shows coming up, and uh, it's been a really great summer, right? I mean, we we did we had some really great shows. Um, so uh, I just want to also thank joanne and andrew and dave smith for letting us come over there and shoot because it was really great so thank you guys and i know they're listening and all the guys in the shop are really cool and i want to say hi to all those guys because they were told like the coolest people in the world work over there seriously they're all cool and they all have a great look and it's really great all right well for myself and all the guys uh, i just want to thank you kevin for for being here and i want to thank your lovely wife for also being here and um, thank you for listening and we'll catch you next time Thanks for listening to the Audio Nowcast, sponsored by API. The Audio Nowcast is hosted by Mike Rodriguez. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. Perfect.